The first reading is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel is from Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Good morning. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Just a brief reminder of the context then of this passage that I've just read to you. It's the passage that we've been using in this series over the last few weeks from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Under the leadership of King Solomon, Israel has just finished building the temple to the Lord, after which Solomon prays a prayer of dedication that imagines a time when God's people might abandon him, forsake him and turn away from their faith in the Lord. 
And in those days, Solomon acknowledges, they will end up reaping the hard consequences of their sin. But if they repent and humble themselves and call upon the Lord, well, then perhaps God, he prays, according to your nature, you might still hear us. Would you answer, Lord, and heal our land? And so God then comes to Solomon in the night with his answer, this passage, which is, yes, I will hear and answer and heal if. And these are the certain conditions and prerequisites that we've been looking at over recent weeks, conditions that must be met for God to then unleash his mercy, forgiveness and healing. They're not conditions of bartering or negotiation. If you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. No, these conditions simply realign our hearts with heaven, if you like. They reset us back to the right and aligned place where we're able to receive that which God longs to pour out on us, his love, his blessings. So over recent weeks, we've been looking at these conditions one by one. And this morning, we've come to this condition. If my people turn from their wicked ways. Malachi 3 verse 7 says this, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. You cannot reverse that order. Though God is always reaching out with his love, you cannot ever know God's face if your back is turned towards him. Turning from our wicked ways then and returning to God first begins with recognising, owning and admitting our faults and need of forgiveness. Until we acknowledge our sin, then repentance is meaningless. Part of the problem, I think, is that sometimes it's possible to look at our sin in completely the wrong way, either rationalising or minimising our faults, or alternatively, desperate and hopelessly trying to make up for them, to, to work a way out of them. But both these attitudes can in turn lead again to more problems. Firstly, we might consider others who are really sinning and think, well, I'm not as bad as that. We just assume, therefore, that generally we're doing OK. Not perfect, but spiritually enough, more or less good enough to win God's approval and hopefully earn a place in heaven. Two brothers were well known for their crooked business dealings and both had ruined a lot of people's lives as they grew richer. Finally, though, one of the brothers dies. The surviving brother knew that he and his brother's reputation in the town was horrendous. So he searched out a vicar who would give a eulogy that would hopefully improve his brother's image and therefore make himself look better. And so he tells the minister that he'll give a vast amount of money to the church on the one condition that somewhere in the eulogy, the vicar must refer to the deceased brother as a saint. Well, the vicar looks at the leaky church, Ruth, and yeah, reluctantly agrees. When the funeral service begins, the church is packed with townspeople holding their breath, desperate in the hope that the man's wicked character will finally be publicly exposed. And the vicar begins. The man you see here today, ready to be buried, was a vile and debauched individual. He was a liar, a thief, a deceiver, a man manipulator, a reprobate and a hedonist. He destroyed the fortunes, careers and lives of countless people in this town, many of whom are here today. This man did every dirt and rotten, unconscionable thing you could think of. But compared to his brother here in the front row, he was probably a saint. Comparing yourself to others then, especially in the sight of God, is a dangerous thing. But, you know, 
some people in comparing themselves to others will always do so unfavorably and constantly feel unworthy, a failure or a fraud. And so endlessly have this striving ache to do better, to try harder, to be more holy in the desperate hope that they might eventually get there. But the trouble is this sort of endless striving in our own strength and usually coming up short or ending up in endless circles of failure. Well, the Bible tells us it's clearly madness. All of our righteous efforts, we're told, all of our human best labours is as filthy rags to God. Good works will never be enough. There won't be any comparisons on Judgment Day. Each person will have to stand before a holy God and answer for his or her life. And God doesn't grade us on a curve. The only standard God uses is his own gold standard, the perfect sinless standard of his son. In spiritual terms, 99.99% achievement is still a failure. That's why the law was given as a plumb line to show us our inherent capacity to stumble and fall, despite our best efforts, and show us our unquestionable need for God's solution, Christ crucified. No one could be saved by doing enough good to outweigh the bad. But there is, of course, good news. The good news is that out of love for lost and helpless sinners, Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, came to earth and lived the perfect life, pleasing his father in every way, perfectly, and then paid for our sin on the cross, so that anyone who believes in Jesus will be saved from God's judgment. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, we're told in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Faith in Christ and repenting from our sin are two sides of the same coin. There's no genuine repentance without faith and no genuine faith without repentance. True repentance means that you get your heart back on fire for God. You start to love God again with all your hearts, which is why God said in Joel chapter two, verses 12 to 13, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. When we repentantly turn our faces back to God, we turn our hearts back to him. 2 Chronicles 7.14 then, amidst the hopes and horror, triumph and turmoil of those days, was God's invitation to his chosen people thousands of years ago to return to him. In these our days, Many millennia later, days of upheaval, trial, despair and anguish again, the answer to the problems that our world faces are not more bombs or more knowledge or distractions or political solutions. No, God is still on his throne. And for all of us, as his creation before him, the only real solution is in that same invitation, which is still made today. If my people turn from their wicked ways, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God then wants us to get down on our knees and pray. He calls us to pray as individuals, as a church and as a nation. We're to be humble, to pray, to seek his face and turn away from our sin. Turning in the Bible is the concept of repentance. In the New Testament, the Greek word for repentance, metanoia, 
it's a military term and means about face. It means if you're traveling in one direction and the commander says about face, you turn 180 degrees and go in completely the opposite direction. David in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24, a passage that I love, says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So why not start today by giving God permission to show you anything in your heart right now that displeases him? Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting. John says in chapter 16, verse 8, when he, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. It might be through a sermon or a song or a word that someone says to you or a specific prick of conviction felt in your heart, along with an awareness of what, what it is you need to turn from. If so, confess it straight away. <laughs> you don't need to collect a litany of sins that you store up till a Sunday service's time of confession. In this, 1 John 1 verse 9 reassures us, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's keep short accounts with God, being quick to repent, to turn from our sin and turn towards the good, good father. You know, for the truth is we're all in this boat, this struggle to battle in this fallen sinful world. If anyone says he has not sinned, says John in verse 8, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. So we may not be easily able to live without sin, but we can live lives without staying in sin. It's like the story of the man who spoke to a young boy sitting next to a pond. Wanting to know how deep the water is, he asks him, if I fell in here, would I drown? To which the boy wisely replies, no, sir. You wouldn't drown if you fell in, you'd drown if you stayed under. It's not our stumbles with sin that will undo us. The cross offers victory for us in that. It's staying under that will kill your soul. So let us repent, turn from our wicked ways, finding freedom and forgiveness as we seek the very face of God, our merciful Redeemer, our King, our Saviour. In the words of Hebrews 12, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Nothing in my hand I bring Simply to thy cross I cling Naked come to thee for dress Helpless look to thee for grace Found I to the fountain fly Wash me, Savior, or I die. Wash me, Savior, or I die. 
While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold Thee on Thy throne, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself. Let me hide myself. Let me hide myself in Thee. Let me hide myself. Let me hide myself. Let me hide myself in Thee. Let me hide myself. Let me hide. Let me hide myself in Thee. Help us to affirm our belief in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Drawn here by God, let us bring to him our concerns for the Church and the world. In these troubled times, we pray that the Church may be a vibrant sign of God's life in every generation and every locality, serving, listening and loving, with the human face of ordinary people lit with the brightness of God. Lord, hear us. And we pray that all households and neighbourhoods may be alerted to the signs of glory around them in the ordinary daily miracles and come to welcome Jesus as Lord. And as we adjust to our hybrid way of worship, community and outreach through Zoom and Skype, we give thanks that we are still able to communicate. We look forward to a time when we will be able to meet regularly in person. But give thanks to Tim and Jenny, Mary and Sarah and all in the parish who exploit the technology to the full to keep Wigcombe a vibrant place of Christian belief and worship. Lord, hear us. And against the backdrop of the immediate response to the pandemic, we pray that the world's attention may focus on what is of lasting value, that in humility all in authority may hear the real needs, honour them and act on them. Lord, hear us. We pray that all who are searching for God may realise his closeness to them, that wrong lives may be courageously righted and damaged lives and attitudes amended. Lord, hear us. And as the nation fights to control coronavirus, we pray for all in the NHS, for all volunteering to help the NHS, and for all those offering aid in other ways. We give thanks for their very real expression of love for thy neighbour, and we pray for their health and well-being so that they are able to steadfastly carry on. Lord, hear us. And as the number of people who have died from coronavirus rises well above 100,000, around one in every 625 people in the United Kingdom, we pray that the dying may turn to you and be safely led through that last journey to peace and the joy of eternal life. We pray that we may all one day experience God's heaven. Lord, hear us. And in these difficult times, we pray that we remain aware of God's amazing love for each of us until our hearts are overflowing with thankfulness and praise. Merciful Father, 
accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen.